one of the aims of the hypnotherapy is to try and get the brain and the gut communicating with one another a little bit better. And we know that it works really well. We know that about 80% of people respond to hypnotherapy as a treatment. And we know that of those people who respond about 70, we see about a 70, 75% reduction in global gut symptoms. From Women's Health Australia, this is Uninterrupted, a podcast where we share candid chats about all aspects of well-being so that you can live a healthier, more empowered life. I'm Editor-in-Chief Lisa Gebelagin. Here's a stat for you. Up to 30% of people in Australia have irritable bowel syndrome, otherwise known as IBS, according to Dietitians Australia. Research also suggests that those with IBS have experienced an uptick in symptoms during the pandemic, thanks to all the changes brought by these unprecedented times that have now become the norm. If you're nodding along right now, we think you'll enjoy today's episode. Our managing editor, Alex Davies, speaks with Dr. Simone Peters, the founder of the Mind and Gut Clinic in Melbourne and a gastroenterology researcher at Monash University. She's a leading expert in hypnotherapy that targets gut issues called gut-directed hypnotherapy and is also the head of clinical content at Nerva, a digital therapeutic that delivers a six-week program of the approach via an app. In this chat, Dr. Peters explains what gut-directed hypnotherapy involves, how it works and the difference it can make. Plus, you'll hear some tips that all of us can use to look after our digestive health. Dr. Simone Peters, thank you so, so much for being here with us. You're most welcome. So I'm so excited to talk all about gut health and gut hypnotherapy with you today. And I'd just love to start with, yeah, like asking you a little bit about gut health more generally. I feel like I've seen research and surveys and things kind of suggesting that more of us are struggling with you know, gut-related symptoms during the pandemic. And as a specialist in this space, what are you seeing in that sense? You know, what's going on, particularly among women, I guess? I think you're absolutely right. There certainly has been an emergence of gut symptoms uh, during the pandemic and now post-pandemic, I suppose, although in some ways we're still living through it, aren't we? But I think not only has there been an increase in gut symptoms, but I think there's also been an increase in this idea around gut health. And I think the two uh, terms, although sometimes used interchangeably, actually refer to quite different things. So I think firstly, I'd just like to take the opportunity to point out that there is a difference between sort of aiming to maintain good gut health versus managing gut symptoms. For example, if we're talking about good gut health, there's some really key factors that we all need to consider. The first, of course, relates to diet and ensuring that we're eating a really good quality diet. And this, of course, includes all five food groups. So vegetables, fruits, grains, dairies or alternatives, meats and alternatives. And then obviously trying to keep discretionary food items to a minimum where we can, where possible. And then within each of those five groups, making sure there's as much diversity as possible. So as many colours on the plate kind of thing. Beyond diet, mood is another really important consideration and managing stress does play a really important role in terms of maintaining equilibrium within our gut. And I think it's fair to say that we've all been under probably more stress than we could have ever anticipated during the pandemic. And I think that it's very likely that you and I will talk a little bit more about stress as the podcast goes on. 
Third thing, exercise. So it's really important that we all get enough exercise and that is really good for our bowels. Our bowels love it when we're active. And then, of course, good quality sleep. These are really the key fundamentals when it comes to good gut health. And they all contribute in their own way to us ensuring that we have a really healthy microbiome. Well, that certainly that our microbiome is as diverse as absolutely possible. But like you said in your question, I guess the next consideration is what happens when things go wrong? What happens when people think that they have poor gut health? And I guess most often people think that they have a poor gut health when they feel unwell. And so it might be that they had tried those previously mentioned strategies. So they've looked at their diet, they've considered their mood, they're exercising, they're sleeping well. But despite all of these things, they're not feeling that great. And often when we talk about gut health, when we say people aren't feeling that great, it usually means that they have some sort of gut-related symptom. And this is often things like abdominal pain or bloating, distension, so where we sort of visibly see that our tummies get bigger. So it's not just a feeling, but we can visibly see that our tummies are are bigger and uncomfortable when we get flatulence or wind, um, or when we have issues with our bowels. And I guess that can relate to the frequency that we're opening our bowels or the consistency of our stools when we go to the toilet. And if people are experiencing persistent gut symptoms, so of course it's normal for us all to get gut symptoms from time to time, but if they're persistent, it's important firstly always to be checked by a healthcare professional. So this can be your GP or your gastroenterologist or somebody that you feel comfortable uh, discussing your gut health with because unfortunately gut symptoms can be a sign of something sort of more sinister, so inflammatory bowel disease, celiac disease, bowel cancer, other types of cancer. That said, most commonly we see gut symptoms associated with what we've recently called disorders of brain-gut interaction. And the most common disorder of brain-gut interaction is what we call irritable bowel syndrome or IBS. And like your question suggested, we're seeing more and more people present with irritable bowel syndrome or certainly symptoms that are associated with irritable bowel syndrome than ever before. And I was going to ask you, yeah, because I think you're right. I felt like when you were talking about the factors that can impact and affect our gut and things before, your mind just goes food and what I'm eating. And that's the only thing. But it's so much more complex than that, isn't it? All the different factors that can influence what's going on for us in that sense. It really is. There's so many different things that can contribute to symptoms in people. And there's so many people who have symptoms. You know, if you think about just irritable bowel syndrome alone, we're talking about 3.6 million Australians or 1 billion people globally. So these are really, really big numbers. And unfortunately, it tends to affect females more than males by a two to one female predominance. And these numbers are, are, are alarming But what is also another really unfortunate consideration is that we just don't have a cure for irritable bowel syndrome. And what it therefore means is that it becomes about trying to best manage these symptoms as we can. What I'd love to start, you know, leading on from that is to kind of start with gut-directed hypnotherapy, which is your absolute specialist area. And I'm so intrigued to hear more about this. And But just to start with, how would you describe hypnotherapy in general to someone who isn't familiar with it? So daydreaming, I suppose, is an example of hypnosis. 
Uh, in saying that, I'm sure you've seen on the TV or the movies people clucking like chickens and doing other horrendously embarrassing things. <laughs> They're also in a state of hypnosis. So clearly you can see that there's varying levels of depth of hypnosis. Now, in clinical hypnotherapy, the aim would to be to try and get somebody sort of somewhere in between those two extremes. So we want the person to feel really comfortable and relaxed, but they're probably going to be consciously aware of what's going on around them. And the idea is that when they're in that really comfortable, relaxed state, we want to present them with different metaphors or different stories to help them to imagine certain scenarios. And then when they imagine those scenarios, the part that makes it hypnosis, if you like, is that we give suggestions to what we call the subconscious part of the mind. So when you're really relaxed and comfortable, the subconscious part of the mind is more receptive to the suggestions that we give. And so, of course, the suggestions that we use are always targeted toward improving whatever problem it is that the patient presents with. So in gut-directed hypnotherapy, as an example, the suggestions would be targeted toward improving gut symptoms. Because that's what I was going to say, because you mentioned, I guess, the, the picture that many of us have of hypnosis, I guess, is or being hypnotized is, you know, someone has got up on stage and done something and not remembered it at all. And you know, is that something that people maybe have a fear about that they'll lose control in hypnosis, but actually that's not the case with kind of what you do? Oh, most definitely. I think um, I've had hundreds of patients who have been really quite concerned about this idea of losing control during hypnosis. But look, the vast majority of people are still consciously aware in a state of hypnotherapy. Probably about 15% of the population would get to a level of depth whereby they'd have no conscious recollection of what was going on around them. In saying that, even if we play devil's advocate and the person in front of me happened to be one of those individuals that was part of that 15% and they got into the deepest possible state and they couldn't remember what was being said to them, if I said something to them that they didn't feel comfortable with or I asked them to do something that they didn't want to do, they would wake up instantly. So they're actually never out of control. So you certainly don't have anything to worry about um, when seeing a hypnotherapist. But of course, keeping in mind, like with any profession, you need to make sure that you're seeing somebody who is reputable. Can you tell me a little bit about your background in gut-directed hypnotherapy? And I wondered if there was almost like a aha moment, I guess, that really sparked your kind of interest and passion for it. I guess this was over over 10 years ago now. I was doing my PhD with Monash University at the time, and I was actually doing my PhD on a completely unrelated topic. I was doing it on gluten proteins and isolating these proteins and doing feeding trials in patients and in patients who thought that they had problems with gluten but didn't have celiac disease. Anyway, somewhere along the line, my PhD became hijacked by hypnotherapy and the reason it became hijacked was because there was a group in the UK that was doing quite a bit of work in this space and they were presenting really great data but we were a little bit skeptical because all of the data was coming out of one center and so I begrudgingly agreed to do what was meant to be a bit of a pilot study I suppose at the time to see whether we could reproduce some of these results and it turned into being much more than a pilot study. I did over 300 hours of hypnotherapy on this trial. Well, first I had to learn how to do hypnotherapy and then I had to design the study, of course. And then in terms of the trial itself, it was over 300 hours of hypnotherapy in, in my participants. And I guess 
What we found from that particular study was that the hypnotherapy was working exceptionally well. And in fact, we compared it at the time to the low FODMAP diet, which um, essentially is the number one diet that we use in patients who have irritable bowel syndrome. It's the diet with the greatest amount of efficacy behind it. And so we compared the hypnotherapy directly to the diet. It was a head-to-head study. And we found that the hypnotherapy was equally as beneficial in terms of reducing gut symptoms as was the diet. And I suppose that was my aha moment because I never in my wildest dreams anticipated that we would find that result. Wow. That's incredible. Because that's the thing I was going to say, like it's that aha moment for you. Did that kind of almost, yeah, completely change your direction then for the next part of your career, I guess? That's exactly right. If you'd asked me 10 years ago whether I'd be spending my days now doing gut-directed hypnotherapy, I would have said absolutely no way. But here we found ourselves, me talking about it with you and uh, owning a clinic where we offer gut-directed hypnotherapy to hundreds of patients every week. So no, certainly it was, it was a big aha moment. And I guess I and my department at Monash University have been a little bit obsessed with it ever since. Can you tell me a bit about, so if I came you know, to you for a gut-directed hypnotherapy session, you know, what a typical session might involve for someone? So you would come along and we would have a little bit of a chat about your history, obviously. I'd want to know a lot about what investigations you had had done, what you have tried, what you haven't tried, what has worked, what hasn't worked. And then there's a really important component, which is about education. And I suppose educating Um, you on what irritable bowel syndrome is and what it means to have irritable bowel syndrome and how we can use hypnotherapy as a way of managing your symptoms. So we talk a lot about the gut-brain axis. What are the things that are going on in the mind that can contribute to symptoms? What are the things that are going on in the gut that can contribute to symptoms? And then, of course, the most important part is the hypnotherapy component. And the hypnotherapy itself lasts for about 15, 20 minutes. And the first part of the hypnotherapy is to make you feel really comfortable and relaxed. It's what we call an induction, if you like. And then we try and get you into the deepest possible state as we absolutely can so that that subconscious part of the mind is is really open and to the different suggestions that we give. And then often I'll present you with a different story about your tummy. So every time you come, the story will be, like I said, a little bit different. So an example might be, getting you to imagine going to a pharmacy and swallowing down medicine and that when you swallow down that medicine, the medicine will coat your stomach, it will coat your intestines, it will coat your bowel and it will give you relief from the symptoms that you describe. Those suggestions that we give for the relief in those symptoms is what makes it hypnotherapy, if that makes sense. Talk me through the the science of it, I guess, or what it's actually doing. You know, you mentioned the gut-brain axis For those who don't know, can you tell us a bit about what that is and then what hypnotherapy is doing in that sense? So our brain and our gut are directly connected to one another right from the time of fetal development. And so, of course, this means that things that are going on at either end can contribute to symptoms. So most commonly the things that might go on at the mind level can include things like stress and anxiety, worry, lowered mood, depression, We know that people's mental states can have an impact on their physical symptoms. And this is often because when people experience issues with anxiety, as an example, that they often end up in what we call a heightened sympathetic state. 
Now, this is just a state of our nervous system that takes over. You might have heard of what we call our sort of fight or flight response. And this can result in physical changes occurring in our gut. And so often when people feel a particular way psychologically, it can manifest physically. Now, that's not to say the symptoms are in their head. In fact, that's not the case at all. They might be triggered by how they feel psychologically, but by the time they have the physical symptom, it's actually a purely physiological response. But then there are things that go on at the gut level too. And examples of that might be issues, say, with one's motility. Now, of course, your motility is the time it takes from when you eat something to when you pass something. And we know that in people who have irritable bowel, often their motility is altered. So things move through them too quickly. So they might have diarrhea as a symptom or things might move through them too slowly. So constipation might be a symptom. And so motility is one thing that can obviously contribute to symptoms in people. The other really common thing that we see in, in people who have irritable bowel syndrome is what we call visceral hypersensitivity, which is just an incredibly fancy way of us saying that the nerves that are in their tummies are just much more sensitive than what we want them to be. And this is the case in about 70% of people who have irritable bowel syndrome. And of course, if the nerves are too sensitive, that means that these people usually have symptoms like pain and bloating and wind and so on. So there's things that are going on at both ends, as, as you can see, that can contribute to the overall problem. And so the aim, one of the aims of the hypnotherapy is to try and get the brain and the gut communicating with one another a little bit better. And we know that it works really well. We know that about 80% of people respond to hypnotherapy as a treatment. And we know that of those people who respond about 70, we see about a 70, 75% reduction in global gut symptoms. Now, they're really, really impressive statistics. And I guess the first criticism people come up with often is that perhaps it's just a really good placebo. And I guess we've kind of thought that, too. So we've done some studies to ensure that it's not just a really good time-consuming and expensive placebo. And we've looked at long-term outcomes and we've found that people who do hypnotherapy, those people who respond, obviously, maintain the benefits of the hypnotherapy in the long term. So the longest study that has been done has been done over a five-year time period and it's shown that actually people who responded to the therapy initially maintained those improvements five years post-treatment. So there is no placebo that could maintain effects over such a long period of time. So we feel reassured that, in fact, we are doing something, we are impacting the body at both the mind and the gut level. God, that's absolutely incredible. Like you say, especially for the fact that it continued so long, because is that the idea that obviously the therapy has induced some sort of physical change in the body. That's exactly right. Yeah. Wow. That's absolutely incredible. So what type of candidate can gut directed hypnotherapy be helpful for, or maybe on the flip side, is there someone maybe who it's not quite suitable for? So that's a really good question. So in the scientific world, we call this predictors of response. Who is the most likely to respond and who is the least likely to respond? And we've spent quite a bit of time looking at this and we've looked at lots of different factors. So we've looked at things like age of the patient, gender, bowel habit subtypes, so whether they have diarrhea, constipation, whether they alternate between the two, how long they've had symptoms for, how hypnotizable they are, 
lots of different factors and we can't seem to find anything that predicts whether somebody is likely to respond or not respond. But we do know that 80% of people do respond. So there's no single drug that has those sort of rates of efficacy. So by comparison, they're pretty good odds. There are some people where we don't use hypnotherapy. And often these are the people who might be in an altered state of consciousness already. So these might be people, say, for example, who have a personality disorder. They might have schizophrenia, um, something along those lines. Often patients who have quite a significant or notable trauma history, it's also not appropriate for But obviously, when a person goes and sees a hypnotherapist, as part of that initial workup, you know, it's really important that these sort of questions are asked and explored. And if it's not an appropriate therapy for a patient, for whatever reason, the hypnotherapist would obviously discuss that with the person at the time um, and other arrangements for different therapies would be made at that point. I wondered if there were any cautions to be aware of if we do go through with gut-directed hypnotherapy or any type of hypnotherapy, I guess, or perhaps might we feel a certain way after a session or do you advise how people look after themselves after a session? I'm not sure. You know, do you know what I mean? How people feel afterwards, perhaps? What do you see? So as long as somebody's appropriate to do the hypnotherapy, there's no real side effect of the hypnosis. So there's no real disadvantage or reason against trying it as a therapy. I guess the consideration is that, you know, after a session of hypnosis, you're probably going to feel really calm and and really relaxed. So it's probably not the most, you know, the best time to then jump into a meeting where you need to be on top of your game or something like that. (laughs) Um, But otherwise, there's no real issues associated with doing it. You know, after a session, you can get up and go about your daily life. You can pick the kids up from school. You can cook dinner, do whatever it is that you were going to do, um, get about your day, you know, as you were. There's no real issue around, you know, when's the appropriate time or not the appropriate time, as long as you can relax and get in to it. And as long as you're, it's an appropriate referral, there's no reason why you can't give it a try. I was wondering if someone listening to this is intrigued to kind of try this approach, what's your advice and what are the best first steps, I guess? Do we have to be referred by someone or, you know, what's the kind of the best way to even start looking into doing something like this? I think if you're interested in gut-directed hypnotherapy, the first thing you want to try and do is see if you can find a hypnotherapist that specialises in this space. I think that's a really, really important consideration. So you need a a GI-focused hypnotherapist or a GI-focused psychologist. And then if you can find that person, that is great. But one of the problems is that there's very few people that are trained to specialise in this space. And so I guess that's when you might consider using something like a a digital therapeutic, um, so something like Nerva. So Nerva is a a gut-directed hypnotherapy app that I have helped to develop. And we we developed it for this exact reason, um, that if people were interested in in doing gut-directed hypnotherapy, but they didn't have access to it as a therapy, you know, there wasn't somebody in their local area that was specialising in this space, that they would be able to, to use the app. Some other things that they can try if they're not really open to the idea of digital therapeutics would be trying something like meditation as an example. So hypnotherapy and meditation are very similar. So if you wanted to get a feel for whether you thought hypnotherapy might be a good idea for you, you could try meditation. So there's lots of different meditations that are just free and available on various apps or through YouTube or whatever it might be. And I guess the idea of guided meditation is to get you into a very relaxed, calm state. 
The key difference being that obviously in hypnotherapy, there's suggestions that are provided. So you're not going to get that element, but you would get a little bit of a feel for what hypnotherapy was all about by doing guided meditation. So you mentioned obviously digital platforms, of course, and you know, you've been working in this gut-directed hypnotherapy space for a decade, as you said, but I feel like I've been reading more and more about it over the past few years. And I wondered, do you think that's part of that is because it's become more accessible through things like the digital platforms, things like Nerva? You know, what do you think why it seems to be, I guess, gaining more and more traction? I think there's two things. I think that the medical profession, or certainly the gastroenterology profession, has really embraced it now. So over 10 years ago when I was doing my PhD, I remember I stood up in front of my gastroenterology department and presented this idea to the team that I was going to do hypnotherapy. And I'm fairly certain that most of my team thought that I had two heads. You know, they thought perhaps (laughs) I'd gone a little bit mad. But now, interestingly, there's so much science. We've done so many trials and not only trials that, you know, we've done through Monash University, but trials that have been done by other really key groups around the world that have shown that this therapy works. And so that's really got the attention of gastroenterologists. It's really got the attention of of the medical community because not only do we have a therapy that works, we also have a therapy that works and that people see maintenance of effect in the long term. And in our irritable bowel population, that's a really significant finding because often we see that patients with irritable bowel syndrome feel well for a while, but they don't always maintain those improvements in the long term. And so gastroenterologists have really got around it. And then even though the medical profession has got around it, there's been not many people that have been trained in this space. So they want to refer their patients, but they don't have anywhere to refer them to. So I think then you're exactly right. This sort of emergence of digital therapeutics has meant that not only is the medical profession interested, but they now have somewhere to refer these patients to. And so the reason that I developed Nerva was because I had an interview on a TV program which aired in New Zealand, and obviously my clinic is in Australia, and we had an influx of patients that were coming from New Zealand. And I think on this one particular day, I had three or four patients from New Zealand, would you believe? And these poor people were coming every every week for a session for six weeks, so they were spending silly amounts of money to come. And I thought... This is exactly that. This is silly. These people are coming and they're spending all of this money and we develop and deliver hypnotherapy per protocol in a research setting. So why can't I deliver it per protocol in an app? And so I partnered with Mindset Health and we developed Nerva. So we developed the content to be similar to what we would offer patients in a face-to-face setting and made it available through a online platform, so a digital therapeutic, which meant that people could access it regardless of their location. And obviously, because it is now available, it has gained traction and people have become aware of it and they are liking it and they're using it. Do you find that that's a, an appeal, I think, of this kind of therapy in general is that it has that multifaceted kind of thing, you know, like you say, it can have the physical impact, but it can also relax someone and then that in turn will help with stress, which can then help with gut issues. Do you think it's the, the multifacetedness of how this can help people that is so appealing, I guess? I think so. And this, it, it does all come back to this question 
a little bit, doesn't it? You know, is it, is it the chicken or is it the egg? Is it the things that are going on in the mind that are causing the tummy problems or is it the things that are going on in the tummy that are causing the problems with the mind? And typically we use hypnotherapy to target the physical symptoms. So we use it to target things like the pain and the bloating and the wind and the issues with the bowel movements. But we also know that people respond in terms of their psychological outcomes as well. So we know that people do feel better psychologically after hypnotherapy. So you're right. I think people feel better physically, but they also feel better psychologically after they've done something like Nerva. And whether we're targeting the mind or the gut or the chicken or the egg is probably yet to be determined. Yeah. And you mentioned one of the examples of a type of guided hypnosis that might involve, you know, going into a a pharmacy and taking some medicine and that's soothing kind of your gut and your insides. And I wondered if there are any others that are a really common one that often come up? What's a maybe a common exercise or visualization? Another common one would be getting somebody to visualize their gut like a river. So we'd get them to imagine that they're that the flow of the river is a representation of the flow of their gut and that they can change the flow of the river according to their needs. So, again, in somebody who has diarrhoea, predominant irritable bowel syndrome, they might like to flow down, slow down the flow of the river as opposed to somebody who has constipation, predominant irritable bowel syndrome, they might like to increase the flow of the river or to move some rocks that might be causing some stoppages or some problems along the way. So that's probably another example of one that I would often use in my patients. And just a kind of aside from hypnotherapy and in the general gut health space, I'd love to ask you, just while I have you, what kind of other areas of research or innovation in this space are really intriguing you at the moment? What else in gut health is you think is holding a lot of promise for the future? I actually think digital therapeutics is offering a lot of promise. And and I mean, that's sort of in a global sense. Obviously, we can deliver hypnotherapy via digital therapeutic. And quite clearly, I'm a little obsessed with these sort of mind-gut related therapies. So I think, you know, this opportunity to be able to deliver things like cognitive behavioural therapy or other therapies that we know that are really useful in people who have irritable bowel syndrome over this digital platform It just means that therapies that would have otherwise been unaccessible are now accessible. And I think that patients would respond and really benefit from from those therapies being made widely available. I think the other really interesting space is, is around the role of the microbiome. And I think, again, everybody's quite interested in this space at the moment. Unfortunately, I don't think the science is quite caught up with what we're recommending clinically at this stage. But I think it's a really interesting space to watch. And then the other space I think is is holding a lot of promise is this idea around sort of enzyme-based therapy for food intolerances. And obviously I work in a clinic with lots of dietitians and so I've always got one eye on, on what they're doing. And um, there has been this little bit of an emergence in in using different enzyme-based therapies for for different food intolerances. And the research is is just emerging in this space. So I think um, I'll just sit back and uh, hold my tongue, but uh, I'll sit back and look forward to seeing what this research shows. That's really interesting. I feel like there's a whole there's a whole other podcast and piece in that for the future. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and just lastly, I feel like we've spoken about so, so much today, but if you could only leave our listeners just with one key tip for looking after our guts and our gut health, 
what would it be? You know, what would you love for us all to do or to know? I think my piece of advice is that if you think that you have a poor gut health in the context that you have gut symptoms, surround yourself with a really good multidisciplinary team. I guess the reason I say that is often we see people who suffer in silence or they try and find all of the answers on their own. And there really are great, highly qualified, trained professionals who can help in this space. And most people respond best to a multidisciplinary approach, which means having a really good support network around you. It shouldn't be hard. Getting good control over gut symptoms shouldn't be hard. And if it is hard, you're probably not surrounded by the best team. Um, So that would be my one piece of advice is surround yourself with a really good team of multidisciplinary practitioners who can help you. That sounds like a perfect note to end on. Simone, thank you so, so much for yeah, sharing your insights today and your time. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Anytime. This episode of Uninterrupted was hosted by Alex Davies and produced by me, Lisa Gabby-Luggan, with additional sound editing by Abby Williams. For more from us, pick up a copy of our latest issue with Tia Claire Toomey or on the cover. Find it on newsstands or online via Apple News+. Plus. Visit us at womenshealth.com.au and follow us on Instagram at womenshealthaus. See you next time.